0: A month after Republicans huddled at the DCU Center, the Democrats are headed to Worcester this weekend for their state party convention. Katie Lannon and Matt Murphy will be on the news service team out there in the Woo on Friday and Saturday. And folks, what can we uh, what
2: can we expect? What's at stake?
3: Colin Young is going to be so mad at you for calling it the Woo.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> the uh, the Paris of the '90s. Paris Just of
3: the so '90s. So
2: many nicknames to choose from. I thought Wormtown. we were going to go with Wormtown. Yeah.
3: But really, uh, (laughs) Sam, thanks for asking. Uh, Thank you. Democrats, uh, you know, a few thousand Democrats gathering in Worcester this weekend with three major races, uh, really with something at stake on the line. You have the the race for secretary of state, uh, the race for governor, of course and the race for lieutenant governor. And uh, I think it would be a big surprise if any of the six people running for those offices don't get their 15% to qualify for the ballot. Uh, But it's still up in the air who walks out of there with the uh, endorsement of the party.
2: And of course, we've got two days of action. We have the uncontested races on Friday night, which while there's less suspense and drama around those, that's when the delegates will have a chance to hear from some of the the bigger names, the marquee speakers like Senator Elizabeth Warren, Attorney General Maura Healey. They could really take an opportunity to, to fire up the crowd and provide direction and a focus for the rest of the weekend.
3: Of course, I think, you know, Warren's speech particularly be watched from a national perspective, depending on where she goes, I would expect to hear a lot of uh, talk about the president. Then you have Maura Healy speaking, who a lot of Democrats were hoping did run for governor this year. She elected not to and is running for re-election. Uh, but she is obviously seen as a rising star in the party, and this is a big chance for her to seize the spotlight.
0: And some candidates are trying to broaden the scope of the issues they talk about, right? Katie, you uh, covered Josh Sacom this week.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Matt brought up that we're likely to hear a lot about President Trump, and I think that's really true even in the races where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. On the Republican side, Governor Baker has been trying to distance himself from the president. But for Democrats, he's a convenient target. There's not a lot of love lost between Massachusetts Democrats and President Donald Trump. And we see that, too, in the Secretary of State's race, which, while we have plenty of responsibilities for that office directly within the purview, elections, corporations, lobbyist registration, state archives... We're seeing the, the challenger, Josh Zakem, bring up focuses on issues like abortion, immigration policy that aren't kind of the traditional bread and butter issues for that seat. And um, he's looking to unseat the, the longtime incumbent, Bill Galvin. And it'll be interesting to see how much that gambit pays off for him, how much that broader approach resonates with voters. Uh, for Zakem's point of view, he says that this is what voters are looking for in a candidate. We'll find out how much that's true this weekend.
0: And Matt, what's the tone of the race for governor right now? The incumbent, Republican Charlie Baker, has been getting a lot of love from uh, some Democrats, including some of the most progressive Democrats like Senator Jamie Eldridge.
3: That's right. I think you're going to hear, as we've heard on the campaign trail for months now, both Bob Massey and Jay Gonzalez go pretty hard against the governor. Just just in a debate on Thursday on WGBH with Jim Browdy, uh, Bob Massey called the governor a fraud and an empty suit. Uh, they've really been painting him as someone who, in their estimation, is not leading on key issues. But it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh, their fellow Democrats go after him. Uh, Jamie Eldridge is someone who is often critical of the governor, uh, particularly on social media. But last week we saw, given the chance uh, to appear with the governor at an event for people with disabilities, he really championed the governor. He called him a champion for the community, someone who really cares about him and has had really nice things to say about the governor. And this has been the problem for Democrats trying to gain traction when Charlie Baker has such high approval ratings. People in this building and on Beacon Hill are really loath to say much critical of uh, the popular Republican.
0: Matt, as far as the candidates for governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, you've said that we expect everyone to get their 15 percent, make it onto the primary ballot. How important is it for folks to secure the party endorsement this weekend?
3: I think this year could be even more important than in past years. If you look back four years ago at the Democratic Convention, Steve Grossman walked out of Worcester with the party endorsement, uh, but he went on to lose the primary to Martha Coakley. This year, now with the race down to just the two Democrats, both of them struggling to raise money and gain traction, this could be a boost and maybe uh, what one of them needs to convince donors and the party to rally behind them and give them some strength and momentum uh, heading into uh, an eventual matchup against Charlie Baker if they can win. I think the other big race, to look at is probably the Secretary of State's race. And uh, Katie, you've been talking to both of these candidates recently and writing about them. Uh, I think it's a big challenge for someone like Josh Jacob to challenge a 25, 24-year incumbent.
2: Yeah. And another thing that's going to come out of this is just going to be the simple headlines of who the endorsed candidates are. When you're talking any of these contested races, These are relatively unknown people, you know, not a lot of people know who Quentin Palfrey is, who Jimmy Tingle is, who Bob Massey or Jay Gonzalez are. And just kind of getting their name in front of a a broader swath of people beyond the kind of dedicated activists who will be there in Worcester this weekend could be a really important opportunity for them. Thanks,
0: guys. And uh, we'll have full team coverage this weekend from the state convention in Worcester.
2: See you in Worcester. See you.
0: The state's primary elections are less than 100 days away, and Mike Norton is here with us to talk about a voting reform effort underway on Beacon Hill. And, Mike, this could affect what are usually low-turnout affairs.
4: That's right, Sam. It's always interesting when the legislature takes up a bill that would affect their own re-election efforts, and this is one of those. In 2014, the legislature passed an early voting law, and the reform was put in place for 10 days before the 2016 general election. By most accounts, it went well. It was more convenient to vote, and while there were some hiccups that come with implementing something new, nothing catastrophic was reported. Fast forward to 2018, a year when a confluence of factors, including the dates of two Jewish holidays, prompted Secretary of State William Galvin in January to set the primary election date of Tuesday, September 4th, the day after Labor Day. Recognizing the earlier-than-usual primary date, Galvin recommended an early voting period during the last week in August. The full Senate agreed to that, passing a five-day early voting period, but it died in negotiations this month with the House.
0: So what's the hang-up here?
4: Well, that's not entirely clear, Sam. We asked the House Election Laws Chairman John Mahoney about it, and he didn't return our calls. So then we asked Speaker Robert DeLeo about it directly, and he also didn't really shed any light on early voting prospects, but he sounded enthused about advancing another reform, automatic voter registration. That would essentially add eligible voters to the rolls when they interact with state agencies like the Registry of Motor Vehicles or MassHealth. Now, Town clerks have some concerns about the logistics of early voting, but they do not seem insurmountable. And the head of the Town Clerks Association from Great Barrington told me this week that the uh, clerks in general, they like to make voting more convenient. City clerks are more concerned, and in March, they wrote a letter to Beacon Hill leaders asking that early voting be suspended until local officials have clear guidance, adequate voting equipment, and full funding from the state. There are undeniable costs associated with opening and staffing polling places for essentially multiple election days. That raises the question of what's a reasonable price to put on expanding voting access, and is Massachusetts legislature ready to pay that price? And there's always politics as well, Sam. The the turnout in recent primary elections has been pretty poor. That gives added weight to every vote that does get cast, and incumbents by and large have done very well getting reelected to the state legislature. Are they willing to open up the primaries to a new dynamic with unpredictable results? That's what we'll find out in the next couple of months.
0: All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Controversy has swirled this week around a convicted child rapist as the state prepares to let him walk free. Wayne Chapman has been civilly committed since his 30-year prison sentence ended around a decade ago. Governor Charlie Baker weighed in on this Wednesday. Colin Young, what did the governor have to say?
1: Well, Sam, the governor said that he thinks Chapman and people like him should really never be released from prison, and he pledged to file legislation that would make the penalties for serial sex offenders tougher. I think it's worth taking a step back here just to understand a bit about how this how this process works. So Wayne Chapman was sentenced in 1977 to serve 30 years in prison for the rapes of two boys. After the sentence ended, prosecutors successfully pushed for Chapman, who's been linked to many other uh, cases, including that of a Lawrence boy who went missing in 1976, to be held in the state's custody as a sexually dangerous person. Recently, two psychologists who do work for the state evaluated Chapman and said the 70-year-old is no longer a danger. With those two opinions, Chapman can now be released from custody and freed without parole or probation oversight.
0: So that's the process. It sounds like the governor is no fan of that process. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right, Sam. On the radio this week, Baker said, quote, people with track records like his who are convicted of the crimes like his should never get out. Uh, and he criticized the two psychologists who decided that Chapman is no longer a threat, calling their assessment that he's essentially too old to be a danger, quote, a pretty weak read. So what is the governor planning on doing about all this? Well, he says he's going to file legislation shortly to stiffen the penalties for serial sex offenders like Chapman. Baker said his legislation will recommend changes to the process of releasing someone like Chapman to include having a jury or a single justice consider whether the prisoner to be released is a danger or not. And the governor also said his administration is not sure about this one yet, but suggested his bill will include some kind of monitoring of sex offenders who are released after they're civilly committed. So stay tuned, and I'll be sure to let you know when the governor files that bill. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Sam.
0: The House passed legislation on Wednesday that would authorize a new concept, community benefit districts. Lawmakers have tried to do this before. Governor Baker vetoed an earlier version of this bill last year. Andy Metzger, you covered this this week. What exactly are these community benefit districts?
5: Well, in Massachusetts, you elect your mayor you elect your governor. And if you own enough property, you could elect to join what's called a community benefits district, if this becomes law. Um, In that case, uh, the value of your property determines your vote in deciding to create one of these things. And then uh, what they would do is essentially tax the property owners that, uh, that own property within them, And then pay for things like parking, streetscaping, supplemental security, sanitation, things that maybe the city or town aren't providing. They'd be similar to business improvement districts, but easier to establish and with a larger purview.
0: And the vote in the House on Wednesday was overwhelming. 145 in favor, with only two opposed. Um, Andy, who's, who's opposed to this and what are their objections?
5: Well, the two reps who uh, voted against this are both fairly liberal Democrats, uh, Denise Provo from Somerville and Michelle Dubois from Brockton. And uh, it's also opposed by the National Federation of Independent Businesses, which is often more aligned with center-right or Republican uh, lawmakers. Um, They both have similar arguments, saying that this would give big property owners too much power. And... Essentially, allow them to uh, to tax uh, property owners who are within those districts. Now, there, now there would be uh, exceptions to who uh, could be taxed, like nonprofits are exempt, some others are exempt. Um,
0: and if your property happens to be in this district area, could you
5: opt out? Uh, no, not oh. under the version that passed the house. You could be exempt, but you and you could vote against it. But if your neighbors want to establish it, then you're in uh yeah that's that's pretty much how it's written hmm. and so the next stop for this is the Senate that's right and the Senate has already passed a version similar to this uh, like you mentioned earlier, Governor Baker was really the only substantial voice in the state House that objected to it last year. He said that it departs from the fundamental principle of democratic governance, but this version is different. this version does exempt nonprofits and It's unclear yet how the governor will receive it if it reaches him. Thanks, Andy. Thank you.
1: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of
4: Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.